0: Turn this morning, if you would, to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we're going to return to verse 20. As I shared with you, now Jesus is beginning the Sermon on the Mount, and it begins with this mini set of Beatitudes, and we're going to take uh, to verse 26 this morning as we look back a little bit. And there's a reason for that, because as the disciples are hearing these words, as they're Uh, understanding these things that are being said to them, I think they were probably struggling somewhat. Uh, I don't know about you all, but when I read these at first glance, uh, they are a little tough for me to digest. Are they tough for you to digest? Blessed are the poor. Uh, That doesn't seem to be blessed, amen? When we think of blessed, just like the Jewish people thought of being blessed, they thought of full barns and great crops and, you know, people loving on you and kind of like we celebrate Thanksgiving. Most of us probably didn't, I'm sure. I'm almost positive there was no one in this room, you know, who barbecued a little Cornish game hen and stuck it in the middle of the table and you got three green beans and put it there and, you know, you had one slice of bread and all 12 of you were gathered around this Cornish game hen and giving thanks for the sparsity that was on your table, probably that would be tough for most of us. Amen? Can, can we say amen? It's hard for us to associate the blessings of God with these things that Jesus is now going to bring to light to us. And as we contemplate them and think on them, it's a tough reality. Amen? If it's easy for you, then you can come up and teach this morning, because it's hard for me. I I can tell you this morning, it's hard for me to associate the life described here with blessing. And yet, it is the life of blessing. And as we study these things, as we look at them, we're going to see that the blessing that Jesus is talking about, that we are to live as His children, is not as the world lives. It's not as the world thinks. There, there are polar opposites in many ways because the world derives blessing from things, from circumstance, from being liked, from the things of this earth. And Jesus says, family of God, remember He's speaking to the disciples very specifically with this set of Beatitudes. If you really want the path to blessedness, it is the road least traveled. It's not the world's way. And so this morning, as we study intently God's Word, uh, I want to make sure that you're not in that crowd of those looking for the superficial, those looking for the circumstance, because true contentedness is a heart issue. True contentedness is not a thing issue. It's not a health issue. It is an issue of where your heart is in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you this morning that as we read these words, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And Lord, as we ponder these statements which seem to be a divine paradox to us, we ask that you would give us understanding that you'd cause us to absorb and to take deeply uh, your word into our hearts, that as we study, that we might lay hold of the truths that will get us through those difficult days. Help us to truly understand the blessings that we do have. Lord, it is from this place that our lives ought to be lived. And so, Lord, we bless you, we thank you. Uh, Instruct us now, we pray, through the study of your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. And so as it becomes very clear to us that these attitudes uh, can only be lived out from a Christian perspective, and I want to take you back just a little bit, because as we kind of rushed at the end of last week's study, you you see, from a human perspective, a normal human perspective, these things are impossible. Amen? Amen. As we prayed for us, for the Guild, for the Tate family, we wanted to have a Thanksgiving. We got to have that. But can I tell you that the day before and all of the days after haven't been quite so circumstantially wonderful. Uh, I don't even know how many trips we've made to the hospital in the last several days. And so if you're lining up all of these things in your life and going, well, man, God must really hate me. Because if you really looked at those circumstances you're going, man, this is not a path of blessing a path of blessing is cancer and kidney stones we had We had cancer and kidney stones in one day in one family it 's like what 's that? How is that supposed to be a blessing? Can I tell you that that 's not what 's being talked about here? Anybody that tells you that you 're supposed to get up in the morning and Wow, I got cancer and I'm just so happy about it. That's not what's being said. I just lost my house, oh boy. That's not what's being said. I'm starving to death. Yeehaw That's not what's being said. You see it's a heart issue that takes the situations and circumstances of life and rightly aligns them with a heavenly perspective. It's not an earthly one. It's a heavenly one. Because you know what? Cancer stinks. Poverty is a bummer. Being hungry is not a bunch of fun. The answer to it is not on this earth. It's in heaven. That's what Jesus is doing with the disciples. He's saying, guys, if you focus in on the things of this earth, you will always be disappointed. Anybody here ever been disappointed by the amount of money in your bank account? Anybody ever been disappointed about the fact you've got to repaint your house up here in the mountains every four years? Anybody ever been disappointed about that new transmission you had to put in, and the old one's only got 12,000 miles on it? You you understand what I'm saying? You you see, if you're focused in on the things of this life, there will always be massive disappointment. You'll never have joy. You'll never have blessing, because there's a lot of really rotten stuff that goes on in life. It doesn't mean life is bad. It simply means that the life that we live here is not supposed to be that from which you get your fulfillment. Our fulfillment comes when we step out of time and into eternity and He says, well done, enter into my kingdom of rest. That's when it gets really good. Here on this earth, you may have some blessings. You may have some tough things to go through. But we look forward to heaven. And so the path to blessedness from a biblical perspective was actually quite clear in the Old Testament. The Old Testament pointed to a picture that was impossible, didn't it? Think about it for a second. When you look at the Jewish law, when you you look at what the Jews were given to try and follow and do, Though in itself given by God and certainly filled with the perfection of the Lord, from a human perspective, it was impossible, amen? You couldn't do it. And so when you look at how the Old Testament saints lived their lives, they lived in expectancy of the Messiah, amen? They didn't live in expectancy of, oh boy, I finally went to the temple and this one last day of atonement, I'm actually perfected. They look forward to the next year of having to go through all the same temple ceremonies, every last one of those sacrifices, every one of the feast days, and still getting to the day of the Day of Atonement going, man, I hope God's mercy is poured out on the mercy seat, otherwise I'm dead. They too looked forward to heaven. And the law couldn't save them. The law's never saved anyone. Your Bible's very clear on that. They lived expectant lives. That's why you have Hebrews chapter 11. With faith, it's impossible. Without it, it's impossible to please God. And so, they were given a picture of what we now understand in fullness. I would draw your attention to the very last message of the Old Testament. Here it is. Malachi 4.6 and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. That's the last promise of the Old Testament. You get the picture? He was after their hearts then, and he said the only way to get there Is is the way that's going to come in the New Testament? And then God was silent for four hundred years. He spoke not again through a prophet for four hundred years. The last word the Jews heard was, "Lest I come and smite the land with a curse." You see, because that's pretty much all the law can do. The law smites. Grace saves. The law puts burdens. Grace lifts burdens. The law causes you to have to think, rethink, and overthink every single thing you do. And grace sets you free. So, what the Old Testament did and ended with, that was a warning the New Testament age here in Jesus' own words begins with a blessing. Do you get the picture? He's saying, the old has passed away. What did Paul say? Behold, all things are becoming new. Romans 12, the renewed mind, the body that's now a living sacrifice. You see, the paradigm's completely shifted. It went from what you could do to who you were. From what you had to accomplish to what was accomplished for you. Amen? You you see, what was accomplished at the cross, you couldn't do for yourself. I couldn't do for myself. And so Jesus is now going to give them a way of living that is supernatural. Supernatural. You didn't do it. I didn't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. If you're looking to wake up every morning and, and have this as your methodology of action alone, you're actually in trouble because this gets accomplished not by you doing anything, but by you being who you are in Christ. That's why when people come to me and they go, well, what do I need to do? You need to walk with Jesus. You need to walk in the Spirit. You need to attend unto the Word of God. You need to be in prayer. Well, that's not really doing you. That's right. It's not really doing. It's you being. It's an attitude that results in action. It's not an action that changes your attitude. Do you get the difference? Very important that you understand the distinction there. Because a lot of people think that Christianity is something you do. And Christianity is not something you do. It's something that you are. Behold, all things are becoming. Present action perfected in the future, becoming. Get the difference? Not that you became, you're becoming. And so the Old Testament leaves us in need. And if you think about it, think about what was... The big thing of the Old Testament, really, if if you will, was the coming of the law, amen, under Moses. Do you remember what that was like? He went on top of the mountain and there was lightning and thunder and there was a dark cloud over the top of the mountain. Nobody saw anything. And when Moses came down, it was like, what have you guys been doing? Aaron, you should know better. You're making a golden calf. Well, you didn't really make it. It just walked out of the fire. We only threw earrings in there, and all of a sudden, here came a golden calf. That's the law. I mean, it was a, an amazing event. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be at the base of Mount Sinai. And, you know, and, here, and Moses is hearing from God. And he comes down, his face is shining. And in this case, Jesus sets down on a hill on a level place and he begins to just simply talk to him. I want God to do that with me. God, talk to me. Because I need to hear what you have to say. I want to share with you a little bit of the importance of these Beatitudes. And I think that there's a reason and let me give you five of them. First and foremost, it shows the absolute necessity of being born again, the new birth. Because these things are impossible unless you're in Christ. They're absolutely impossible. They, they would be an anathema to us apart from Jesus. They would be something we would look at and go, there's no way I'm doing that. It's not going to happen. The, the only one who can partake of these things is someone whose nature is like the one who's given these things. Amen? You're just simply not going to do them in your own strength. I can prove that to you. I'll stand at the top of the stairs, and as each of you leaves, I'm going to smack you in the face and see if you feel loved. I'm going to get through one or two. You're going to huck me down the stairs and then stomp on me. Okay, It's, it's completely unnatural to you. Because you still have bodies of flesh, amen? And you don't like getting punched in the nose. I'm going to come over to your house. I'm going to bring some boxes. I'm going to empty your cabinets and say, God bless you. What's going to happen? I'm like, Well, could you leave us like a loaf of bread or something? Yeah, it's going to be impossible in your flesh. But if I told you, you know what, there's a whole bunch of hungry families... I think most of you who are walking with Jesus would go, you know what, that's okay, you take that and you go give it to Him. See, it's the Christ in you that is your hope of glory. Amen? It's not you, it's Him. Secondarily, it, it, it drives us to Christ. He is our only hope of meeting these standards. Amen? Amen? If you think you can do this stuff on your own, you're in deep trouble. Because not only can you not do it on your own, It becomes then a work, and you're no longer saved by grace. You're saved by what you can do. And if that's the case for one person in all of human history, it would have to be the case for all, and we're all in trouble. Because can I tell you, there's people who've done more wonderful things for the Lord than you, and me, and this church, and Calvary Chapel, and all the churches in the world. His name is Jesus. It is finished. He did what we couldn't. Thirdly, it gives us a a pattern for happiness and success that can't be defeated. Let me explain myself to you a little bit. You see, these standards, these these objects, these, these motivations, these things that you see here, if you actually live them out, it is impossible for you to not be blessed. Because if you look at what you have and you truly in your heart don't care... If someone takes it away, how messed up are you? Uh, Not at all. If you look at the food on your table and you say, God, thank you that I'm actually alive, I took a breath this morning, and you don't care, how blessed are you? You're blessed. If you're not getting your motivation for living from the praise of men and you don't get praise from men, what happens to you? You're still blessed. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, these things, when implemented, allow you to be anywhere, anytime, anyplace, going through anything, and you're still okay. You're blessed. But the opposite is not true, is it? I have met multi-billionaires who are the most miserable, vile, despicable, messed up people on the earth. They have everything and yet have nothing. Nothing. I have met people in positions of power who are the most despicable people you could possibly ever imagine. If you don't understand that, read the newspaper every once in a while. Go online and check out what's going on in Washington. These people are the most powerful people on earth, and yet they are miserable. That's why they're out paying for prostitutes that's why they're out stealing from their constituents that is the reason that they find absolutely no satisfaction in their position because you remove christ from it it's not fulfilling and it's not blessed a fourth reason this is how you witness to other people because they see you living a life in this world that frankly is messed up amen Our world is messed up. If you haven't figured that one out, you probably need to get out a little bit more. Our world is messed up. It's staggering how crazy our world is. Can I also tell you, things don't always go our way, amen? God never calls me up in the morning. Well, Jeff, what do you want to do with the universe today? I just have never gotten that call. Maybe you have. I haven't gotten that call. God doesn't ask me. He allows things into my life that I neither want nor desire. And he says, now how are you going to handle this, Jeff? Are you going to handle it in Jesus, or are you going to try and do it with your flesh? And so when people see us go through those things, and there is still a measure of that eternal perspective, that joy that comes from knowing that I am in Christ, and one day, if all else fails, if everything on this earth goes bad, I'm still going to heaven. Hallelujah. Other people see that. They want that kind of peace and contentment. Because you know what? You can hand people money. You can hand people food. You can change their circumstances. You can love on them. And they can still be miserable. Amen? Unless the heart gets changed. And so the change comes from knowing Jesus. And so we share that with people. We ought to be spiritual magnets to people. And fifthly, That the life that is obedient to these things, these maxims, this proclamation, if you will, is the only way to be pleasing to God. Does that kind of shock you a little bit? It should. It's supposed to. I think Jesus was trying to twist and tweak them a little bit as he said these things. It should be shocking to you. We, We should hear these things and go, really? You know why? Because it leads you to the inescapable conclusion that without Jesus, this stuff is absolutely impossible. And so now I'm going, Lord, unless you... Fill my life with what I'm supposed to have, I'll be empty. Lord, unless you fill my table with what you want me to eat, I'll be empty. Lord, unless you move in my life to bring me the contentment that I have in you, I won't have contentment. You are my friend. You are my anchor in heaven, and only you. So when the divorce papers come, You'll still hate the divorce papers. You still won't want anything to do with it, but you'll know that there's a God in heaven who still loves you. When those lean times come, you won't be tempted to think that God has forsaken you because He is near to those who are brokenhearted. The downcast He won't cast out. You see, it comes from having that understanding that these things come directly from the Lord and your relationship with Him. And so as the content begins to unfold for us this morning, notice how authoritative it is and yet intimate. Do you see that here? I mean, he's telling really the disciples, guys, this is an impossible way of living, but I want you to get it. So I'm going to really illustrate these points well. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount actually is an illustration for the Beatitudes. He begins to explain how it is that these things work out in practicality. You know, as you, as you look at all of what's being said here, and you understand what the Lord is trying to get at as He speaks these things to us, it is His new way of living comes from a new way of thinking. Amen? And that new way of thinking comes from a new life. Amen? So all of a sudden you see these things linked together. They're no longer isolated little points that Jesus is trying to make, but they're a new lifestyle. It can't be produced externally. That's why I find it almost humorous when people tell me, well, I read this book and it it told me exactly how to live a blessed life. You already have that. And I can tell you these handful of verses will take you a lifetime to actually implement. You can get started today. But I guarantee you, what you know today will get tested tomorrow. Amen? If you walk with the Lord and that's true, raise your hand. It's true. What you have learned today will get tested, to, it may get tested before you leave the building. Amen? That's life in Christ. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces, James said, patience. I hate patience. And as I say that, you know what I'm saying about God's Word? Well, it means I don't want to be perfected. Because His Word says that having patience leads to perfection. So I need patience. You know how I get that? By going through stuff over and over and over and over again. And where I used to fail miserably, now I only kind of sort of am a jerk. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) You you know what I'm saying? You know that, that person that just rubs you the wrong way? And you can bump into them, and they could say, God bless you, and hand you a $100 bill, and you'd still know that there's an evil motivation in their heart. Amen? And you walk, I can't believe you gave me a $100 bill. You know, and after a while, you take the 100 and you buy them lunch. And then after a while, you say, no, I don't, let's go find, you see what I'm saying? You're growing in Christ. You learn to take those situations, and the Lord works a deeper work each time. You see, it's the internal changes that bring about the external changes it's not the other way around when our attitudes and our thinking are correct then our actions will follow but the other way around not so much I've seen people do lots of good things for the wrong reason and not be blessed in it it's rather like this Martin Lloyd-Jones in his commentary on this particular passage of scripture likened it to people who who go and they take music lessons. And as you take music lessons, you can learn mechanically how to play the Moonlight Sonata. For those of you with classical music experience, you'll understand it's one of the most beautiful pieces ever written. You can mechanically learn how to play that piece. That's kind of like the person who likes to think of their life in Christ as something you do. You can mechanically learn how to look like a Christian. But you know what you lack? You lack feeling and impetus and volume control and the ability to put emotions out through that music. It's just mechanical. And you play the right notes. There are a lot of Christians who play the right notes. They say the right things. They speak fully and functionally Christianese. Amen? God bless you, bro. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to fellowship with the beloved. But then they get there and they're gossiping and backbiting. They're hating people they ought to love. You see, it's an external thing versus an internal thing. And when you're actually someone who's gifted, when you when you hear a child prodigy on the piano play a piece like the Moonlight, you're just like, that is coming from the soul that's not coming from fingertips it's not coming just brain to fingertips it's who they are that's us in christ and so jesus gives us these beatitudes and all Briefly cover them, and then I want to switch to the hindrances to the Beatitudes. Notice how he begins these things. The disadvantage. We talked about this this last week. And then he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples, it says in verse 20, and he said, blessed are you poor. Blessed are you poor. Not blessed are you if you become, but are you poor? The ones who are actually poor, you're blessed. For yours is the kingdom of God. None of us equate that to blessedness. And so he's really laying the foundation for what he's going to say in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, guys, you need to look at life the way I see life. Because a lot of what you have in life, especially wealth, is a hindrance to growth in Christ. And in saying that, by no shape of the imagination. Am I saying that someone can't be wealthy and love the Lord? I'm not saying that at all. Neither was Jesus. But I am saying that how many people with wealth have a very shallow relationship with the Lord? Because their whole life is spent either attaining or maintaining wealth. They view things very wrongly and very, very often... They get a sense of who they are from what they own. And Jesus is saying, you know, it's really kind of the place of the believer to recognize that material blessings are not necessarily a sign that you are blessed of God. We have whole movements, in our country especially, of churches. Let's see, if you know, if you don't have this and don't have that, and if God hasn't given you a diamond ring on every finger and a Mercedes in the driveway and a big fat house and a fat bank account, then in fact, you don't have enough faith. Can I tell you that that is disproved by the disciples themselves? Because they had nothing. They died poor. Most of them were martyred. And yet, they were... St- the most blessed people on the earth at the time because they directly received from Christ. So there were those who were disadvantaged and they were blessed. The parable of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, the rich fool that we'll get to in Luke 12, and the rich man found in hell in Luke 16, all of them point the same direction. You don't need stuff to be blessed of God. Secondarily, there were those who were distressed Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Can I just take a moment to talk to you about what's being said here? Is it wrong to laugh? Heavens no. Your Bible says that actually merriment is a good thing. But what's being talked about here is the person who goes through life in a very false sense of joy. Every crass and crude and vile thing, everything that happens has to be a joke. The world that I look at, that's not how it goes down. And it wasn't the world that Jesus was acquainted with. No more than being hungry uh, is something that we relish in, though being hungry can bring you to that place to where you're just totally dependent on the Lord. I want to focus in for just a moment on this whole attitude. Uh, of the circumstances of life being your source of joy. The circumstances of life are just that. They're circumstances of life. They're not necessarily directly related to anything spiritual. So please don't make them so. I've seen some very blessed people who are extremely sad. I have sat at the bedside with people while their loved ones died and watched them cry until there are no more tears, but they were tears of blessing because they understood fully and completely where that person was going the moment they took their last breath. And though it hurt like you cannot imagine unless you've been through it, it was also still a blessing. People without Christ try and cling to life, don't they? And they go through monumental effort and expend every amount of energy and money that they have to try and gain one more day on this wretched planet. Now, if your idea of being blessed is sitting in a hospital bed with tubes up your nose and down your throat and in your arms, hooked up to machines, trying to say that you lived another day I feel sorry for you. Because at that point in time, I'm thinking, Jesus, take the wheel, drive this car home. You see, blessedness, your Bible says, comes when you take your last breath, too. We don't think of that, do we? I don't wander around in my natural state of mind going, Boy, I sure hope I croak today. And yet the truth of the matter is, That's a blessing for us who love the Lord. Matter of fact, so much so that the angels in heaven throw a party when we go home. So the spiritual truth is, some really horrible things in life that the world would say were cursed from are actually blessings from God. He says, blessed are those who are detested. I don't know about you, but I don't like being detested. I don't like being not liked, amen? Amen. I kind of like people that actually like me. I don't like getting evil phone calls and emails and, you know, you and your church and blah, blah, blah. You know, people just go on and on and on. They want to make sure that they know and you know and we know that how evil you actually are. Sometimes that even comes from your family, doesn't it? Anybody that says that doesn't hurt is just, I kind of wonder if their brain's functioning very well. It hurts. And yet Jesus says, blessed are you when men hate you. Yikes. Am I telling you to go out and be obnoxious so people will hate you? Um, No. You know, that's not the path that's being talked about here. When they exclude you, you like being excluded? Probably most of us had that thing where you sit around the Christmas tree and You know, the presents are being passed out. Oh, well, we kind of forgot about you. Nobody likes that exclusion. When people cast your name out as evil. When, When your name becomes a byword in your neighborhood. Oh, well, don't go over there. For the Son of Man's sake, would you please underline that? There's a point to all of this. It's only when it's for the Son of Man's sake that those things are true. It's not when you're just being a jerk. When you're just being mean and obnoxious and mean-spirited and people hate you because you're just not nice. That is not a blessed state of being. And there are some Christians that think, Oh, I'm being persecuted. No, you're just being an idiot. I had people come, well, you know, I'm going through this terrible trial. Well, maybe if you weren't shooting BB guns at the guy's dog, you wouldn't be hated. It's not what's being talked about here. It's because you stand for Christ that people don't like you. It's because your life is the fulfillment of these things, and they see the difference. They go, I don't want to be... He's a goody two-shoes. That's an old archaic saying, I know, and some of you are like, well, it's a goody two-shoes. Because there was a time in the 30s when if you had two shoes, you were really well off, that matched. A goody two-shoes was someone who actually had matching shoes. It's a direct link to this passage of Scripture. Because very often people would just find a shoe and they would put sometimes the left foot on the right and the right on the left and they'd wear whatever they could find and they weren't matching at all. It's kind of how we are in Jesus, man. Are we a non-matching bunch? Amen? We're pretty diverse. And not everybody's the same. For rejoice. Notice the eternal perspective that comes. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed your reward is great where? Underline it. Doesn't say on this earth, it says in heaven. Doesn't say, oh boy, I'm persecuted. I'm blessed right here and right now. You live the life now looking forward to the blessings that will come. Amen? If you walk with the Lord for a while, you get this. I look forward to heaven. And the older I get, the more I look forward to heaven. I can honestly tell you that there's part of me that's just like, oh, Jesus, it would be so wonderful. If you just came and got us today, and the other part of me is there'd be so many people that would perish. No, please don't do that. It's this dichotomy. You you look at both sides of the equation. You go, you come to the same conclusion Paul came to. It's better for you that I stay. Better for me that I go. Any of you that have ever read Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin, Uncle Thomas. Tormented and persecuted, and even threatened to be roasted over the fire by the evil Simon Legree. And that blessed old man makes this conclusion in his heart and his mind You can torture me all you want on this earth, but after that I'm going to heaven, and about that you can do nothing. That's an eternal perspective of the Beatitudes. And so Jesus now enriches this somewhat by giving us these woes. And we don't like the word woe. At least I don't. Maybe you like woes. I don't. Woe to you. Notice how he now takes the opposite side. He says, blessed are you okay, who are poor. And then he gives the flip side of it. Woe to you who are rich. And he tells us why. For you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full. For you will one day hunger. You know the most miserable people on earth? The people who have once had and now do not have and still don't have Jesus. You want to meet miserable people? Crazy how miserable you can get when you've once had, now you don't, and you don't have Jesus. For you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did they to their fathers, to the false prophets. He now kind of finishes this state of blessedness off, and I want to just draw a quick conclusion to these things, because you can see how he's actually speaking now in this sense. Guys, get this. They're aimed at things that we covet. They're aimed at things that we love and want And in reality, ultimately, they become and can become a tremendous encumbrance to us walking with the Lord. Every one of these things are things that if you focus in on attaining all of these things, prosperity, pleasing yourself, or being popular, that ultimately there's no end to attempting to to seek after these things, and you'll never reach the goal. And so Jesus says, don't try. The first woe directed here at those who are prosperous in this life. And you can see it. Woe to you who are rich. He says, for you've received your consolation. The word translated consolation there is actually better translated comfort. From that you have received your comfort you remember what the problem was with the church of Laodicea? I'm fat, I'm rich, and I have need of nothing. The lukewarm church, the lukewarm person, says, I am filled with what I have. I don't need Jesus. And I want to tell you, I have met countless people who in their attention to the details of life and attaining things have sent God packing. They don't have time for church. They don't have time for fellowship. They don't have time to read their Bibles. They don't have time to pray. They don't have time for anything that matters to the Lord, because all of their time is spent seeking riches, stuff, maintaining it. One of the interesting things of driving north on the 395 is you see all of these massive toy haulers and you look on the backs and there's like five dirt bikes and there's 12 quads inside and there's junk on the roof and then you see them pulled over to the side of the road. And they are in a full-blown tizzy over everything that's happening. And the husband's yelling at the wife, and the wife's yelling at the husband. The kids are running out on the freeway median, and they're like freaked out. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong to have those things. I'm saying that if that's your reason for living, you're in deep trouble. Because eventually, you're going to have to maintain those motorcycles and quads and... Boats and all this. We have a boat. I have my boat. My boat's a 1992 boat. And if it blew up tomorrow, I'll take it and put it someplace and dump, I guess. I don't care. Couldn't care less. I'm thankful for it. But if your life is those things, woe unto you. The second woe is with direction against those who are pleased with this life isn't that weird how we settle for so little in this area it says woe to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep why would he say something like that he's like Jesus anti-laughter look think of this for a second remember who the disciples are Jesus had to have a sense of humor okay I'm sure he laughed a lot. Every time Peter came around, he's probably like... Snickering (snickering) under his breath. Oh, here he comes again. Not talking about that at all. We're talking about people whose life always has to be a bunch of laughter. You've been around those kind of people. Somebody dies. (laughs) It's awesome. You're going to cry someday. You're going to mourn. You're going to weep. That's life. And so if your life is only blessed when you're laughing, woe unto you. Because you're going to miss some of the most wonderful things that will ever come your way while you're on this earth. Now I'm going to tell you, I don't like crying. But I cry. And the strongest man who's ever walked this earth, shortest verse in your Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus cried. We find him more times crying than laughing. Doesn't mean laughing's wrong. Please, again, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I like laughing. Proverbs 15 specifically says that it's, it's merriment is a good thing. But there's a time, as Solomon understood, for every type of emotion under the sun, including being sorrowful and mournful. Matter of fact, there isn't actually a verse in the entire Bible that says Jesus laughed. But he cried at the death of Lazarus, he cried over the city of Jerusalem, he cried over you in the Garden of Gethsemane are you when you have the right perspective and you can shed some tears so woe unto you who can't if your life has to be one party after another one happy event after another you're going to be a miserable person the third woe which is actually I think it's only three but some people call it four Woe unto you when men shall speak well of you. Notice this is the contrast. When your life is lived in such a way that you never rub anyone the wrong way, when you don't have enough spiritual intestinal fortitude to speak the truth in love, to live out that truth before men so that it causes some friction every once in a while, woe unto you. If you don't ever kind of mess with somebody's head a little bit because of the way you live your life, woe unto you. Because you are the light of the world, gang. And Jesus made it very clear that those who do the will of the Father are pleasing to Him and those who don't aren't. And when we live like the world and the world sees no difference, no reason to be upset with us, then there's a problem. Remember, He's speaking to the disciples. He's speaking to Christians. If everybody's praising you, then could I ask you a simple question? Is there anything different about the way you live your life? I make people mad all the time. Because without compromise, I will tell them exactly what God's Word says. Somebody comes into my office and they're living a life that's unpleasing to Christ, I'm going to point them to God's Word and say, Brother, sister... I don't care how much you think you're able to do this because your mom beat you or your dad did this or your cousin's uncle's aunt said something when you were four and so you think you have the right to live this way. Your Bible disagrees with you and you want to talk about people getting upset. You're yanking the proverbial carpet right from underneath their feet. That thing they were standing on is now being held captive in Christ Jesus, and you say you can't stand on that, you need to stand on Christ, and your Lord demands that you forgive them. Did you know that? In the body of Christ, you have no right ever to walk in unforgiveness. Never in unforgiveness. No matter what was done to you. You have no right, read Matthew's account of this, to be unmerciful because mercy has been shown to you. you understand what he's saying here? So you're going to have to tell people things they don't want to hear. And sometimes when you say, I forgive you, anybody ever been yelled at for saying that? I have. I don't want your stinking forgiveness. I've actually had multiple people tell me that one. Don't want your forgiveness. You know, he don't yell at you. You're doing exactly what Jesus says to do, and they go, Well, I want to stay mad. Woe unto you when people say well of you all the time. What's the common thread here? You can either take what the world offers, or you can take what Christ offers. Amen. You you can live your life his way or the world's way. You can take what you want from this life, and the problem is, you'll actually get it. H.H. Farmer in his book, Things Not Seen, said this to Jesus, the terrible thing about having the wrong values in life and pursuing wrong things is not that you're doomed to be in bitter, bitter disappointment, but that you are not. Not that you do not achieve what you want, but that you do. You see, when we realize we're spiritually bankrupt and we need Jesus every day and in every way, it'll be okay. But if we find some life issue, something where we're self-sufficient, when we try and make it on our own without Him in some area of life, when we will not surrender or relinquish something into His loving care and control, if we're unable to let Him take away whatever He wants to take away and say, blessed be the name of the Lord, then you're going to have some woe. You see, that's the world's way. The world says, I want what I want I'm going to do what I need to get to get it. And Jesus says, why don't you let me give you what you need? And that might be some hunger. Might even be some poverty. Could be that people hate you. But in it, you'll be blessed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. And Lord, we just confess this looks impossible. God, some of the things that have happened to us, things we've been through in life, we, we confess to you, we've clung to them. Lord, there's some tidbits of hatred maybe in our heart. Lord, some unforgiveness or bitterness that binds us up and keeps us. Lord, we want everybody to say nice things, and so we just act the way everybody wants. God, forgive us of that. Lord, we put money, possessions, power, the praise of men, above you in our lives. Lord, would you correct that in us that we might walk humbly with you. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful that you put up with us, God. Thank you for loving us first. We pray that you'd take our lives, Lord, and humbly transform them. Make us vessels of honor, God, we pray. Help us to have a blessed attitude.